So every year since Pastor Garrett has been in uh, New Life Church, he has preached on Jesus' last saying on the cross on Good Friday. And today I want to continue in the same footsteps and preach from Luke 23, which is Jesus' first saying from the cross. <clears throat> In total, Jesus spoke seven last sayings from the cross, which has been recorded for us in the gospel. Jesus uttered this last word, not from an hospital bed or while he was comfortably ending his days in some peaceful hospice. Nor did Jesus say them as he lay in his own bed in his childhood home. Jesus' last words were spoken as he was hanging from a cross. Jesus uttered these precious and powerful words as he was being crucified by Roman soldiers at the insistence of Jewish religious leaders. I'm sure that many of you have watched Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of Christ, which helped us to some degree pictured the sufferings of Jesus. The Gospels, however, also gives us a lot of detail to help us picture the scene of Jesus on the cross. I am sure that as Jesus looked down from the cross he was hanging on, he must have been distressed. John 19, 23 to 24 tells us that the Roman soldiers were gambling for his clothing. Matthew 27, uh, chapter 27, verse 44, tells us that the criminals on the crosses to either side of Jesus were reviling him. Matthew 27, 41 tells us that the religious leaders were mocking him, and Matthew 27, 39 tells us that the crowd was blaspheming him. Surrounded by this most unworthy lot, Jesus prayed for them. And his prayer was, Father, forgive them. And this is a prayer of unmatched mercy and love. And this is what we want to explore in the reading of today. May you open your Bible in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and for the sake of context, we will read from verse 26 to 35. Today, you need to have your Bible with you. We don't have the scripture in the screen. So just open your Bible and follow the reading with me. We will read till 38. Luke 23 from 26 to 38. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Syrian, who was coming in front of the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore 
and the breast that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and on the hills, cover us. For, it, for if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two brothers who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they, not, for they know not what they do. And they, and they cast lots to divide his garment. And the people stood by, stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, he is chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Father, once again, we submit ourselves unto you and we pray that your word will increase and prevail in new life church now and forevermore. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Final words can be very revealing. Like an X-ray, they tend to expose the heart and mind of the dying person and enable us to see their true characters and feelings about life. Herbert Locker, in his book titled, All the Last Words of the Saints and Sinners, says, and I quote, the last words of both saints and sinner about to enter eternity, what they had to say before the storming tongues lay silent in the grave, demands our deepest attention and most earnest concern. If when the soul is face to face with eternal realities, true character is almost invariable manifest then we can expect the lips to express glorious certainty or terror concerning the future. Today, I want to look at the last words of neither a saint nor a sinner, but to the last words of a sinless savior, Jesus Christ. By studying the last words of Christ, we shall learn a great deal about the true character of our savior after jesus was nailed on the cross he spoke seven short phrases before he died this precious word explained exactly why jesus came into this world these words explains why he did what he did and why he died as he died the first word of our savior on the cross is a prayer which teaches us about forgiveness. Jesus prayer on the cross has two parts into it. And this is what we want to see this morning. 
the first part is a petition and the second one is a plea you see with me the first part which is the petition in verse 34 the first part of 34. jesus said father forgive them and in these few words there are three important aspects of Jesus' petition that is worthy of us for us to notice. And the first one is that Jesus' petition is addressed to his father. Jesus' pray, prayer in the, beginning, in the beginning, he said, Father, Father. In reading the Gospels, have you ever noticed how frequently this word Father was on Jesus' lips? Do you remember what he said to Joseph and Mary when they lost him and then found him in the temple? Jesus was about seven to eight years old. It is his first recording words or recording saying, he said in that occasion, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? His sermon on the mountain, Jesus uh, spoke of his father 17 times. And before he left his disciple, he said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. And as we read in the gospel, his last word in the cross was, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. None of us will ever experience what Jesus experienced on the cross. Nevertheless, Jesus' example is instructive to us. No matter how severe our trial or crisis are, we must never lose confidence in our relationship to our Heavenly Father. This morning, I read an article on anxious people in the church and how we are to help them overcome anxiety. The author of the article say that in 2018, the U-Version Bible application reported that the most shared bookmark and highlighted verse in the world was Isaiah 41 verse 10. And Isaiah 41 verse 10 says the following, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. He went on to say, the author of that article, that the more we know of God in our lives, the less we will know of anxiety in our lives. Big anxiety can be defeated by bigger theology, meaning that big Anxiety can be defeated by bigger and accurate knowledge of God's character, God's promises, and God's songs as revealed in the scriptures. Even though Jesus was distressed by what was happening to him and by what he must have seen on the cross, I don't think he was anxious because he was confident that God, his father, was with him. 
and he was confident that God, his father, will help, would help him. And he was confident that God, his father, would hold unto him. If God is your father, brothers and sisters, you can boldly go to him with full assurance of acceptance. Knowing that God is our father ought to give us a deep sense of assurance in his heart of loving care for us. Even if your earthly father was a failure, you can experience a fatherly love in perfection in God. God our father is committed to provide for his children in exactly every way we need and as he has promised to direct our every step for his glory and for our good. And although he is known as a righteous father and holy father, he is also known as the father of mercy and the eternal father who will always be for us and provide for us all that he has promised. Romans 8, 32 says about our father, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We need to meditate on these words. Brothers and sisters, God is a good father and he knows and he is able to take care of his children. He knows what you are facing right now. And he knows and he is able to take care of you no matter the circumstances you are facing right now. And I urge you for you to believe in this. Believe in him. He is a good father and he knows how to take care of his children. The second aspect of Jesus' petition worthy to notice in, 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 in verse 34, the first part, as I said, is that Jesus' petition is not for himself. Jesus does not think of himself at all in these first words. One would expect a person experiencing excruciating pain and knowing that his death is only moments away would have first thoughts or have first thoughts for himself. But Jesus' first concern was for others. It is true that later Jesus does pray for himself in his lamenting cry when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But here in the first words that we see from him, there is no mention of himself. He just said, Father, forgive them. Again, let's see this example that Jesus is portraying here for us. Let this be our example for us to pursue and to imitate. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn to live in a pattern of other-centered, meaning to look to others before we look to ourselves. 
We need to learn to live in self-sacrificed love for the good of other people as we outdo each other in service and humility. Elsewhere, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And he did not say, love yourself as your neighbor. That's the example Jesus is giving us in this prayer. The first aspect we notice in Jesus' petition is that his petition is for the undeserving. This prayer was not merely for others. It was a prayer for the undeserving. And note that it was not a prayer for those who have wronged him before, but for those who were in the very act of murdering him. Jesus did not pray for them long after when time had the chance to heal. No, no. He prayed for them while his blood was still flowing from his veins. He prayed for them while his blood was still fresh on their hands and clothes, while they were still standing at the foot of cross and looking at him, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The people murdering Jesus did not deserve his prayers. On contrary, they deserve his curse. They did not ask him to pray for them. In fact, they probably scoffed and laughed when he heard, when they heard Jesus praying. Yet this passage teaches us that Jesus pray, prays for those who neither deserved his prayer nor asked for it. Brothers and sisters, Jesus asked the Father to forgive those who have wronged him when he was experiencing excruciating pain. When the pain was deep, he forgave. And we can do that only in him. You know, there are none on the earth who deserve this petition of Jesus. He prays for no one on the supposition that they deserve his petition. But in great mercy, he prays for his guilt and deserving enemies. Jesus still prays for the undeserving today. Jesus still prays for those who do not ask him to pray. Jesus elect will or while yet dead in their transgression and sin, are the object of his compassionate prayer. And even while they scoff at the gospel, his heart of love is entreating the favor of heaven on their behalf. Some of you uh, think that only deserving people are the object of God's love and grace. But the truth is that none of us are deserving of God's love and grace. And the beauty of the gospel is that it is the undeserving who are the object of God's love and grace. Can we see this? Can we understand and see that 
we are undeserving of the Lord's prayer, but still he prays for us. Jesus loves the undeserving. Jesus prays for the undeserving. Last part of verse 34, we see uh, the plea of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's my second point for this morning. Jesus' plea. And here we can learn three truths about the plea of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the first one is that the plea of Jesus is a plea for forgiveness. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. One might have expected that Jesus uh, would pray, Father, curse them. Oh, Father, strike them dead. But Jesus doesn't pray that. No, 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 no. Jesus asked God to forgive the people that were executing him for their odious and wicked act. The specific request in this plea is forgiveness. Again, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Charles Spurgeon says uh, that if we would no add, if we had no other description of our Lord Jesus Christ, this passage alone would convince of his deity. Moreover, it should evoke in us adoration and worship within us for our Savior who asked the Father to forgive sinners. At this point, we, we should note that these words were also a fulfillment of the scriptures. Hundreds of years earlier, Isaiah had foretold Jesus' sacrificial death on our behalf, describing it perfectly when he said in Isaiah 53 verse 12, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession of the transgressors. The word forgive expresses the idea of letting go of a debt by not demanding its payment. Jesus was asking that our sin debt be forgiven. But you see, this could only be done by placing the obligation of payment on another. So in fact, his prayer of forgiveness, in his prayer of forgiveness, Jesus was asking that our sin be placed on him. In short, Jesus was praying like this, Father, forgive them by condemning me. As he hanged there on the cross, Jesus did not ask that God ignore our sin. A righteous God could not do that. God could not simply say, let's just forget about mankind's sin and let bygones be bygones. No, 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 no. God's searing holiness demanded an infinite penalty. Our sin had to be atoned for. There was a price to be paid and only Jesus could pay it. Jesus Christ is the only sinless man that ever walked in this earth. The only perfect sacrifice that would be accepted by the Father. The scripture says 
that Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found on his mouth. First Peter 2.22. The Bible says that he has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4.15. The scripture says he is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. Hebrews 7.26. He never wronged another individual. Jesus never spoke a lie, never committed an unkind or an unloving act. He never broke the law of God. He never had an impure thought. He never healed to any evil temptation whatsoever. No one was less worthy of death than he. Even the evil Roman governor, Portius Pilate, testified repeatedly, I find no guilt in this man. And yet Pilate conspiring with others, evil men, using false and trampled up charges, condemned Christ to death and killed him in the most brutal manner you can imagine. Throngs of people were uh, whipped uh, into a frenzy of hatred and demanding his death unjustly. Through it all, Christ was led as a lamb to the slaughter, submitting, submitting to the indignity and injustice. He surrendered his life without resistance, without threat, and without any retaliation. In fact, all that suffering and injustice was to express for the express purpose of making him an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the very ones who put him to death. And that is what he was doing. Jesus was saying, Father, let me pay the price for their sins. The Bible clearly teaches that each of us has accumulated a moral debt before our just and holy God, and it has been growing for years. Every time we are less than honest, or we cheat, or we tell a lie, or we treat children too harshly to make a hurtful remark we shouldn't, every time we gossip, we tell a racist, a racist a joke, or we entertain sexual impure thoughts, each sinful act adds to the mountain of the moral debt so high that we could never pay. And as Christ hang on the cross, Jesus said, God, let me pay it. Let me, oh, let me pay the debt for the mankind's sin. On the cross, Jesus paid the sin debt for every human who has ever lived or will live. Second truth we uh, see concerning Jesus' plea, plea. Jesus' plea was or is for us. Look at the object of his request. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. Now, exactly who was Jesus referring to? I mean, who is the them or uh, who is the day in Jesus' prayer. 
Well, in general terms, the Greek here infers that our Lord was referring to his immediate world of Jews and Gentiles, meaning every Jew who had planned his death and initiated the trials that were such a sham, Pilate and every other Gentile who had even the, who have heard even the smallest part in his crucifixion. And amazingly enough, his prayer even included the Roman soldier who had just tortured and crucified and mocked him. Think of it this way. He who was the victim of the greatest crime in history prayed for the criminals who had committed that crime. And as someone once said, during his life, Christ prayed for his friend, while in his death, he interceded for his enemies. But now, uh, but see that Jesus' prayer for forgiveness included far more than the Jews and Gentiles who worked together to crucify him. It was much broader than that. His prayer includes all of us, you and me, the entire world throughout the sweep of history, because all of us are sinners in need of God's grace. I'm saying that Jesus, our omniscient God in flesh, was praying for us that day on the cross. He was thinking of you and of me. I say this because in John 17, we see hours earlier, Jesus praying, not only for his disciple at the moment, but also for everyone who shall believe in him, in Jesus Christ, through the testimony of his disciples. And that is us, brothers and sisters. He who needed no forgiveness died for all, of us who are condemned without the forgiveness. Jesus became the unforgiven so that we may become the forgiven. When someone was crucified, it was a custom to force them to hang from their neck a sign or a titulus on which were written all their crimes. This sign was then nailed above their heads as they hang on the cross, in essence saying, this is why this person received this punishment. Now we read in our passage in verse uh, 38, you can look uh, with me over there. So do you see what was Jesus' titulus? What was said in that plague? The king of the Jews. So in essence, he was executed for treason, meaning for claiming to be king in Caesar's place. But in truth, Jesus' titulus included much more than that. It contained a list of your sins and my sins. Max Lucado puts it in this way, and I quote, there was a long list, a list of our mistakes, our last, our lies and greedy moments and prodigal years. 
a list of our sins nailed to the cross was an atomized catalog of your sins and my sins. The bad decision of last year, the bad attitudes from last week, there in the broad daylight for all of heaven to see is a list of our mistakes. Max Lucado goes on and, and said, but in, in a very real sense, the list cannot be read. The words cannot be deciphered. The mistakes are covered. The sins are hidden for they are covered by his blood. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. As Colossians 2.14 says, your sin are blotted out. He has forgiven you all your sins. He has utterly wiped out the written evidence of broken commandments, which always hang over your head and has completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. As another preacher say, this is why when it came the time to drive a nail through Jesus' hand, he did not resist. He saw the list. He knew that the price of those sins was death. Jesus knew that the source of those sins was you and was me. And guess what? He chose the nails for you and for me. Third and last truth that we learn from Jesus' plea. And that's the reason for Jesus' plea. Notice his last phrase was, for they, not, they know not what they do. In other words, Jesus said, they don't realize the significance of their act. Today, we should say they don't have a clue. <laughs> now, don't misunderstand me here, please. There was a great deal that Jesus' crucifiers did know. They knew what they were doing. Judas knew that he had betrayed a wonderful leader and a friend. Caiaphas knew that he had resorted to bribery and illegal tricks to bring Jesus into his trap. The chiefs of the priests knew that they had brought false charges against him. Pilate knew he was condemning an innocent person to death. The soldiers, they knew that Jesus did not deserve such an awful fate. And even the crowd, they knew that to mock him in his hour of agony was a sadistic to extreme. I mean... There was not a person among those who participated in Jesus' execution who could honestly plead, I am not guilty. They knew they had committed a great evil. They were ignorant of the enormity of their crime. They were blinded to the full reality that they were crucifying God the Son. They loved darkness rather than light and did not recognize that they were putting to death the light of the world, whom was taking away the sins of the world. As the Apostle Paul said, 
none of the rulers of his age understood for if they had they would not have crucified the lord of glory in first corinthians chapter 2 verse 8 christ was asking god to forgive his executioners his prayer was a token of mercy offered to all that heard the forgiveness christ prayed for for the forgiveness christ prayed for is freely offered to all people in fact god is eager to forgive repentant sinners he pleads for every sinner to be reconciled back to him in acts 17:30 the bible says that the times of ignorance god overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Divine forgiveness is never granted to people who remain in unbelief and sin. Those who cling to their hatred of Jesus and their love for sin will by no means be forgiven. And that's not what Christ was praying for. Those who repent and seek forgiveness like the centurion, like the thief on the cross, like the priests and people in the crowd, all of them, if you seek forgiveness, if in repentance, will all be blessed and for and receive forgiveness. Friends, brothers and sisters, some of you here this morning may not be saved. And some of you have been ignorant when you sinned and you didn't know who, were, who you were sinning against. You knew you were sinners, but you didn't know the implications of your sin. Now you are becoming concerned about your eternal destiny and you do well. It's really good for us to think in eternity and to have our lives driven by eternity. You do well, but remember this. Your ignorance does not excuse you from your sin. I need to repeat that. Your ignorance does not excuse your sin god cannot ignore your sin that's why jesus prayed father forgive them your sin must be forgiven but your ignorance does give you a glimmer of hope the god whom you have ignorantly forgotten is willing to pardon and ready to forgive and this is the gospel. The gospel is just this. Trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. He who prayed and died for the guilty. And you shall be saved. Will you open your heart to our Lord Jesus Christ this morning? I know that there are some of us who have received and experienced the forgiveness for which Jesus Christ prayed for. 
This is the day we need to rejoice and be glad in that forgiveness. And also be committed to do all that we can to tell others about this forgiveness so that they may also receive the forgiveness. This was the cry of pardon at the cross. And this is what Good Friday is all about. May God bless his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Lord, sometimes our eyes are so blinded in the things of this world that we cannot see how you have blessed us with all these spiritual blessings, with the forgiveness of our sins, with the adoption that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, with the remission and eternal hope that we have in you, Lord. Father, forgive us because we are so concentrated even in our problems, Lord, that we hinder ourselves to see the fullness of your salvation in us, Lord, that will enable us even in hard circumstances, Lord, to praise your name in the same way Jesus was confident that you were with him even in that moment on the cross. Lord, I pray, I beg you, for me, for my brother and for my sister. Lord, open up the eyes of our understanding so that we may know, Lord. So that we may grow in maturity, in love, Lord. And for us to, in fact, live out the life that you have given us in our Lord Jesus Christ. All for your name's sake and for the joy of your children. We pray all this in our Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.